You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hey everyone and welcome back to Page to Stage, a conversation with theater makers. We're your hosts. That's Brian. That's Mary. To put it simply, we're both theater nerds. So let's pull back the curtain and get a glimpse at the artist's process while creating their art. Hi, my name is Rob Rokicki. I'm the composer lyricist for the Broadway musical The Lightning Thief, the Percy Jackson musical. Which we just had the privilege of seeing last weekend. Awesome. Yeah. And I. Oh, so much fun. It yeah. was the energy was great. I, and like it, the, the kid behind us, I feel like it, uh, it was, I feel like the, it was his first Broadway show, honestly, which is amazing because he was like, Hey mom, what about this? He would like ask her a question or he would he like, like <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not, hopefully I'm not spoiling anything, but, but at one point something, something goes, throws into the audience mm-hmm. and he ran to the front of the orchestra <laughs> to go grab that. <laughs> And bring it back I to his I'm seat. sure his mother was thrilled with that. <laughs> and too. then we had like five ladies on like a ladies night yeah. in front of us. And they were like bopping their heads the whole time. Oh, I love uh. that. That's the, the cool thing about the show is you get this demographic that's like all over the place. You get these like kids that have never seen a show before and they get like fall in love with theater. And you get like a whole different group of people from all ages. I feel like especially since this is a book and so mm. and, and a movie and so there's sure. definitely a following outside of that. So totally. you're definitely bringing in new people who haven't experienced theater before. So I work at a library and I saw one of the kids had a T-shirt on from the show and I said, oh, have you seen it? He goes, I've seen it like three times. I saw it on tour in Philly. I saw it at somewhere else and I saw it off Broadway. And I was like, oh, cool. I said, I'm interviewing the, uh, the composer this week. Uh, do you have anything to tell? tell him or any questions and he said no just tell him i said hi so willie from totowa new jersey says hi hey willie from new jersey <laughs> thanks for coming out i appreciate it so i want to kind of take it back a little bit sure if you don't mind Absolutely. Um, so what was if you can remember what was the earliest experience of theater that you have um, well, uh, I did a show when I was in first grade. It was my neighbor uh, at the time, a wonderful actor, who's, who's randomly his, his mom. He's, he's since passed, but his mom is a big theater lover. And she came to see the show the other night from Aww. Colorado from way back in the day. I hadn't talked to her in like 30 years. It was, long, it was crazy. Anyway, um, her son had done a show and I was like, well, I want to do a show then. And that was first grade. It was a show called Going Buggy. It was about bugs are like trying to sue the government for equal rights. I think I played the the bad lawyer that worked for the government. <laughs> but don't worry, I have a change of heart at the end. The bugs win. So that was I think that was where I literally haha got the bug. But like, <laughs> haha, I was not planning that. Wow. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, no, yeah, early, really early. Um, my my uh, mom sings in a choir. My dad is a, you know, he's he was a doctor for many years, but he was a pianist, a classical pianist. So I grew up like loving old musicals. Uh, my grandmother was a singer. Both my grandmothers were singers. So um, I had a love for musicals and operas and a lot of classical stuff too. And did you learn to play piano when you were younger? Yeah, I learned again, like I was kind of not like forced to only listen to classical music, but that's all that was around. Um, So yeah, I loved growing up listening and learning how to play piano to like Bach and Rachmaninoff and Beethoven. And then I discovered show tunes and it kind of went downhill. I discovered like Bon Jovi and like chess at the same time. Whoa. And it was a big, it was a big eye opener for me. That chess soundtrack was oh, like yeah. oh, rock music and rock music in Abba. theater. Uh, oh, you know. Was there an instrument that that you wish you learned or that you haven't learned? Um, well, in high school I learned guitar. Um I think that was kind of the advent of, of like alt rock in the nineties. So I was learning like, you know, Radiohead. I wanted to learn every guitar song and I learned guitar. Like, so at camp at Interlochen where I went for an arts camp, I, I wanted to like, you know, I was that guy writing songs on the guitar. Um, no, there's a couple, I, I really wish I, w- I could learn drums. Uh, I, I'm not a great drummer. I've tried for a show. Uh, I had to learn accordion. That was, that was a lot of, a lot of work. <laughs> uh, yeah, I play a lot of random things today. I was recording and I played ukulele, melodica, glockenspiel, piano, acoustic guitar, some electric. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun. Always wish I learned to play an instrument. <laughs> 
It's fun. It's, it's never too late, though. It's never too late. It is. It's tricky, but you know. Also, I love writing on different instruments for different characters and things like that. Sometimes you get different ideas for a song if I'm writing on a different instrument. Would you Ooh. argue that maybe like a different instrument has a different voice for each character? Absolutely. Well, I mean, that's how I wrote Lightning Thief. You know, for sure, having that that, so much those sense. ideas in mind because yeah. you think like Percy, he's n- kind of he's this you know young. Uh, angsty teenager that that is thrown in all these kind of volatile situations he explodes with like electric guitar so i used a lot of electric guitar to write um and then like uh, annabeth she's super analytical super smart and so i used a lot of very noty kind of keyboard sounds road sounds stuff like that sounds like kind of a computer i like grover he's a bit of a hippie so i used like acoustic guitar and like melodicas and like kids instruments pan pipes stuff like that that were just like let's have a more like laid back fun vibe yeah i love that so if we go back to when you first started working on The Lightning Thief, sure. when was that and how did that fall into your lap? Because originally it was the TheaterWorks right. tour. The fabulous organization, TheaterWorks uh, USA, that has been around for a long time. Um, they, you know, they've had a really good reputation of being able to t- adapt these, um, you know, beloved books um, for theaters for young audiences. And they also support a lot of um, initiatives getting people who have never seen theater before from underserved areas to things like free summer theater. So um, they had kind of quite the coup getting the rights for this book um, because Lightning Thief, you know, it's a one of the best-selling, I think the best-selling children, uh, YA fantasy series, uh, American fantasy series, uh, like I think in the last 15 years of all time, number one, like for that many years. Um, so it's, you know, the fans and a huge been, franchise, a huge, and a huge franchise, series. huge series. They'd never taken on something this big before, you know, it's like a nearly 400 page book to make a one hour version of that. It's really ambitious. Also the movies, um, were not well accepted be, um, by the fans nor by the creator, Rick Riordan, um, because they, they didn't quite get the tone or the, the nuance or a lot of the plot and things like that. Um, so we had a real uphill battle. We had to kind of win over Rick and his agents and make sure they were on board. And then we also had to had to appease the fans as well. And then we also had to appease theatergoers who don't know of anything about this. Imagine someone who's never heard of Harry Potter and then explaining to them, all right, I'm going to take all seven books, but kind of like ideas of that, but really just focus on the first book and then like write a one hour version of that. That's kind of the Herculean haha <laughs> task we had ahead of us to make this thing. So Joe Trace had found it first, our book writer. He saw on his agent at the time's desk a copy of Lightning Thief and he was like, oh my gosh, I don't know who I have to talk to to get that thing made, but I want that. So they were like, oh, well, TheaterWorks is working on that. And so he adapted it as a book for as a play, I should say. And it was pretty, pretty soon in the process. Barbara Pasternak, the artistic director at TheaterWorks, was like, we got to make this thing sing. We got to compress more time. This is, you know, angsty rock music would feel really right with this. Who do we know that writes that and who could adapt it? And um, I think they they reached out to a mutual friend of mine, uh, Joe Iconis, uh, that uh, suggested me for the job. A couple other writers submitted demos. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I was lucky enough that the my song seemed to be the right fit, you know. Yeah. So when you're wise, yeah. When you're asked to submit some songs, yeah. What is that process like for you? How many do you have to submit, and well, what kind of a time frame do you have? It's different for every project, and usually you have no time, and you have to create like you know, in like a day. You know, it's like you, you, I had a couple weeks, probably like two, but I wanted to do it sooner because I I read the book and I fell in love with it. I did not know the book series. Um, I just thought, oh, fantasy. Oh my gosh, I love Greek myths. I love Clash of the Titans. Was one of my favorite you know movies growing up. Um, so I was like, okay, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into this thing, and uh, I I think they only asked for two demos. I think I wrote like four or, th- or at least at least three, and those three I think those three songs are the only demos that have those those songs have never changed throughout all the versions. You know, we had a one hour, then we expanded, and then we went on tour. We went on Broadway. There's been like 28 different songs cut from the show at least between all the versions, but those original songs were the one that helped get me the job were the ones that have kind of retained and what were those original songs do you uh, remember? strong uh the mom the mother son uh song uh, uh the i think the oracle <laughs> that song with the the spooky oracle <laughs> and uh killer quest i started a version of that song yeah so when you're pitching your your idea and your product you and joe together to 
the the author. Sure. What does that look like? Well, <laughs> the first time, you know, I had to win Joe Trace over. I had to win TheaterWorks over. Joe Trace had uh, dinner with Rick and his son, I, th- I believe. Uh, and, uh, and kind of, and, and so... It, we, we knew, you know, we had to like make sure that we were good stewards of this property. So as soon as Joe and I knew we kind of had got the gig, uh, you know, we started doing workshops and uh, R&D and we brought Nancy and Marietta, who were Rick's agents, came in and were like, you can't do this. You can't do this. Uh, can't cut these characters. We tried to combine a character. Couldn't do that. You know, we had six actors at the time. And, you know, it's a lot of world building. It's a lot of characters. And so especially we were, on these theater work, oh tours, my gosh, they're trying they're, to take as little actors as possible. So, sure. They got to take this set in a van and they can't travel around the country with it. So, you know, six actors playing like nearly 30 characters. Um, and, you know, it ended up actually being such limitations that have have been so freeing in all the best ways of how to tell the story. Um, just budgetarily uh, economic all those all the other also like artistically of just being like we have to create monsters in zero to make a monster and and how do we do that in a way that feels fun slightly subversive and in a way that uses uh our imagination and that these actors can be a part of where it engages the audience where the we we fill in the blanks with our it's it almost feels like shakespearean in a way does that make sense yeah where it's like participatory um and that kind of theater that kind of scrappiness of it fits so perfectly with the tone and the themes of the show. You know, these are kids from, you know, uh, not a lot of resources from broken homes that are finding all this detritus in the world that they've been left because their parents are these absentee Greek gods and they take what they can to fight monsters. And it's the same thing. It's like, here are these actors with not much, not many resources telling this story in this kind of punk aesthetic, you know, (laughs) to create this stuff. So that was very helpful to how to tell the story. And every time we would have to do, we'd have invite fans to watch the the workshops. We get feedback. uh, And then we go to the drawing board and work, 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 and and then do it again. We did so much development. And I was going to ask because I know you said that the fans, I know you said the fans weren't a fan of the movie right? and they had some beef with it, I guess. So I, I, that's great that you were able to... Well, they felt hurt. They felt like the b- book that they loved um, wasn't um, kind of lovingly adapted properly in a, in a way. And, I, you know, that has nothing to... You know, there's a lot of moving parts that go into a movie and I have no nothing to say against the artists that go to make those things, usually on an incredibly fast time frame and budget and all that stuff. But the things that I think bristled with the fans were the kind of Hollywoodization of maybe the slickness of it, the special effects and the CGI of, of it were, were glossing over some of the more core fundamental things of story of a, you know, on a mother and a son of the kind of angst and loneliness of being a, a teenager. Um, they aged up the characters a bit too. So there was a little bit of playing up the sexiness of it. And we were like, that is not what this, at least what the first book really is about. It's about friendship. It's about broken kids coming together and, and finding a sense of belonging. Um, and, and I was like so thrilled that we don't have any character, especially any female character defined by any relationship. Um, they are their own people and they're like, they got bigger worries than, you know, to save the world right now. You know what I mean? So I, I love that. I love that our show is like, let's get back to the books. Let's try to really over and over again. We would be like, how do we solve this, this question about character, whatever we go back to the books. Did theater works always have the intentions to bring it uh, off Broadway, we and- had no idea we would get the rights to be able to do it off Broadway. We only thought we'd be able to do a little tour, and then Nancy Marietta, God bless them, they were like, "We love this. We're going to fight uh, to get the rights away from Fox Studios because uh, the second oh, movie okay. just came out and kind of tanked, and so we were able to get the rights. Um, and we we did it. We did it off Broadway as part of Free Summer Theater, and that was a successful enough that we decided. And the weirdest thing happened. That's when we knew we had something kind of really special. It went on a couple tours, but that little one hour version got nominated for outstanding musical for a Lortel against Hamilton at the time, which was off Broadway and Fortress of Solitude, these incredible Michael Friedman musicals. Um, and, and we knew, Oh wow. If our TYA show can be, you know, respected and loved like that. Wow. Maybe there's a bigger life for it. And that's when more and more conversations started of like, okay, after these tours go out, 
what could we do bigger than this? Um, and we had always kind of secretly hoped, yeah. oh, if only we <laughs> yeah, could have had blah, 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 because we had to do so much compression of time right. to get that one hour to happen. So when they were like, let's do a two act, we we're like, yay. So what did that look like having to now, I'm sure, did you bring back any <laughs> songs that you cut? Oh, it was hard. Well, you know, we had a fantastic director, Stephen Brackett. Um, you know, uh, what a team too, for that one hour, Sam Pinkleton too, who worked on Natasha Pierre, brilliant, you know, mind. Um, and then we, well, this one we brought on, um, uh, equally brilliant choreographer, um, Patrick McCollum, who worked on Band's Visit. Um, but, but, um, we, we, like Stephen likes to talk about, oh, we were going to add more and more action, more and more adventure, more story. And then we suddenly realized actually what we need is, time to breathe with these characters we need the stakes to be raised we need to actually feel more of the backstory of these characters and emotional weight and we were writing the two act right during the election and that kind of put an interesting spin on our uh, kind of where what we were at especially a song like bring on the monsters um and here is this this song at the end of this show that says your parents and your leaders may not have your best interests at heart. You have to not fight your parents' battles. You have to decide what's right for yourself. And I'm like, wow, to have that in a, you know, a, a family-friendly show, that kind of message to say, like, things are not going to be easy for you, and you're going to have to figure things out on your own, and you're going to have to take initiative to make the change you want to see in the world. I suddenly, we all were like, this show means more to us than just a fun fantasy series, as it always was more to the fans. They always, TYA, I'm sorry, YA, I should say, it's such a great vehicle for kind of this universality of dealing with our kind of state of arrested development that we all have as people, issues with our parents, issues of feeling not worthy, issues of belonging. Those are all things that are so heightened when we're kind of middle grade and all those books. And they're such a perfect, perfect metaphor uh, to getting us into those things that we can talk about um, in ways like fantasy and genre, which you also don't see in theater very often. So that's one of the other things I'm so proud of that this was like a fantasy you know we never see that really i mean we have hades town now but like it's rare to see other greek myths a lot of or, or other fantasy adapted on stage and you guys are right across the street Especially from each other comedy. yeah it's really hades fun town. like that so yeah that was kind of in our back of our minds kind of as we were making the show of how we adapted this uh, and created this two-act version um and then then things snowballed from there with a the cast recording um and drama desk nominations, which kind of blew us out of the water too. We, we, you know, that. Yeah, I'm sure the visibility of that cast recording. It helped significantly. Helped, yeah. I mean, it was a two, uh, you know, it was a two month run. Um, we were so proud of it. TheaterWorks kind of produced it uh, on their own and and uh, with some help. And we thought, oh, we're done. Wow, what a great run. And then um, this cast recording, it was the the, the most pre-sales Broadway records had ever had. And we're like, wow. Which perked up some other producers' ears. And they were of like, course. huh, what could we do? Um, and when the idea of a tour came along, you know, about a year and a half later, that was like, um, well, it was actually not that far afterwards. It just takes about a year and a half to launch a tour. But what a great idea, too, to say that message that we had kind of found with our show how cool would it be to take that message to some of the largest theaters all across the country, you know, and get kids who may never have seen a theater piece before to see their favorite characters and to see this story. That was such an exciting opportunity that we, we just couldn't say no. I was going to ask a question about, so basically the show went on tour twice. And <laughs> yeah. So I want to know like what the, what the differences were, if there were any, I mean, aside from, the length of it and the probably overall production. Oh, well, value, I mean, like but. the cornerstones of of the kind of the characters of the the big songs, like "Good Kid" didn't exist in the one hour version, or oh, "Migraine really? Plan," which is Annabeth's kind of main song in Act Two. It's my favorite song on the show. The, actually. Yeah, those two are two those of my are, favorites. They're kind of. Uh, the songs you think about when you these these characters those were those were created for the two act um there was just a lot of compression of time we had to have done in the one ver act version that we were able to then expand um actually i think it was barbara pasternak's idea that was like i want a big underworld sequence and i was like oh god i had you know spooky mormon hell dream kind of knocked it out of the park how could i possibly compete with that um 
And she was, and then we started playing around with ideas and I was like, well, hell is a record company. Well, the underworld, I should say is a record company. And I'm like, wow, we have this other actor. Well, this is what we got for the two actors and we got seven actors and now they're playing like 47 characters. I was like, I have this amazing actor at the time. It's Carrie compare, uh, who, and I'm like, I got to give her like a showstopper. And that's when we were like, oh, if it's a different record company, if it's a record company, we can play around with different genres. But if we had this kind of disco soul, kind of Donna Summer thing, unifying it all, that could be kind of this really cool, scary, fun sequence. And that's how that kind of was born as a way in. But again, it came from the book, right? It was a fun thing from the book, but this kind of finding its own theatrical way because we had this, this incredible actor in the book, it's played by man, but I was like, everybody plays everybody in this show. And it was felt right within the spirit of this thing to give this like killer moment for this actor. And so moments like that came out of uh, kind of inspiration. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that you built something based off of one of the actors, because that seems to be the case a lot of the time. Sure. So I'm interested to know, you guys have had such a different cast each time. Mm -hmm. uh, is Chris the only one that's done all of it? Kristen no, uh, Stokes has done oh. every version since 2013, the very first workshop wow. ever. Wow. Sarah Beth Pfeiffer did that very first mini tour as well, the mini tour. Huh? <laughs> when it, you when, are full of great I know, right? tonight. And that was, that was before we even had a band or anything. That was just like a piano running around. Um, and so it's incredible to have both of them back. Um, but um, Chris McCarroll joined the 2017 cast, as did Sarah Beth Pfeiffer and Kristen Stokes and James Hayden Rodriguez. So all four of them. So half the cast from yeah. that off Broadway so, has done the tour and Broadway. So how have you worked with those challenges of, I mean, I'm sure you're auditioning people with the same vocal ranges and stuff oh, like sort that. Of. I mean, it's a really demanding show. It's a rock show. Again, there's seven actors. They, they never almost ever leave the stage. They're playing all these characters. They're singing off stage while they're changing. There's no sweeteners. There's all kinds of backing vocals and sound effects and screams wow, yeah. and stage combat. And it's a rock show. It's high energy. It, you know, we lucked out because uh, my wife is the vocal coach on the show. She was the vocal coach on Be More Chill. And this was like totally Totally not nepotism. I had no idea that she was going to be hired for the show. It, this is the first time we've ever worked together, too. Um, <laughs> and she's great at like helping manage uh, voices as well because it's a it's a tough thing. But yeah, every time you you work with a new actor, I mean, when we were in rehearsals off Broadway, George Salazar was so flipping funny, and we decided, well, why don't we just give the Mister D character to him? And then he was so funny. I was like, I, I went ahead and literally, I think it was one afternoon, took a scene that Joe had written and turned it into another day for George. Um, so it was really fun to then when you get another uh, actor like Jarrell, okay, how do we reinvent that song for Jarrell, right? In terms of key, in terms of tone, in terms of uh, all kinds of orchestration. What what does each actor bring that I can play with? Um, you know, with Jay Lynn, you know, stylistically, are there are there moments where it feels like a riff is uh, is going to help with the storytelling? I never want to just riff to riff, but if there is like a reason behind it that could feel cool and and meaningful, what can we find there? And like Kristen Stokes, who's been out with us so long, it's like, okay, how do we find another nuance to you? What can we do in every version of this that we haven't tried with this song yet? Like Killer Quest, which has been around for a billion years, I was having her try different riffs and different takes on on, on lines and things all the way up until previews on Broadway. So that's, you know, shows never end. You just have to yeah. stop working on them. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm interested to know, you just talked about, you know, your balance of, of book and music and mm -hmm. all that throughout the show. So I'm wondering how you guys, you and Joe, uh, do you guys map it out in the beginning of, you know, well, you need to hit this point, this point, this point? Sure. I mean, it was, um, it was a true collaboration. It's one of the greatest joys of my life is to be able to like really collaborate with everyone. There was no like, well, this idea is coming from the artistic director. So, you know, that's less valid or the art or sometimes from the choreographer. It's like a lot of times it would be like, this is the problem. We have to solve it. Um, you know, with a show as plot heavy as ours, um, Joe had kind of elegantly structured a lot of things that then I could cannibalize if it was a scene and maybe turn into a song like one night. It, but but it was hard because he was by coastal at the time. He was writing Lemony Snicket for a uh, series of unfortunate events for Netflix in California and Vancouver. He was shooting. So he's, it was very kind of like we'd have these bursts of like cram as much as we could. I mean, we wrote the campfire song. He was staying over at my apartment and we like wrote it. We stayed up all night writing it. It was like so much fun. Um, 
but there were other moments where, you know, I, I knew he would be gone and he was like, Rob, I know you want to write a song here for Percy. And I'm like, I do. And I know what it should be. And I went ahead and wrote good kid on my own. Um, just kind of knowing what the moment should be without a scene, without anything. Um, uh, I, I don't like to always do that because then sometimes songs can feel general and I really, really work from as many parameters as possible. Give me a time frame. give me the, what we have to achieve in this one moment and how do I do that? Um, and the gears just turn, um, I remember Son of Poseidon was a really tricky thing. And they were like, you got to solve this, Rob. It's a, <laughs> we were at dinner. It was like everybody uh, was at dinner and they were all like, okay, we have to get from the underworld to a beach and a fight and then back to camp and you got to do it. We need, you got to fix it. <laughs> like it should be one song and like unify all that action and plot. And, and I, I just, I don't know what Joe, give me something, give me a title, give me a hook because that's, I, you know, did you work from music or lyrics? I, I, I both, but I work for that, an idea. I work from like a thesis statement. That's, you know, I was an English major and a musical theater major at Michigan. Um, and, and so I, I kind of the conceit of an idea first, what is the, the crux of what we're getting at. And then everything has to support that. Um, so if it's this big sequence, well, what is the unifying idea? And and I need a title. And Joe said, Son of Poseidon. And, we, and I was like, okay, okay, yes. In the underworld, it's the gift that his dad gives him, his dad that he had always kind of, you know, resented, finally kind of showing up for him. And him taking that gift gets him out of the underworld and then taking ownership of who he is, forgiving his dad and saying, okay, I am going to help him. And I'm going to use the power that I have bequeathed by me from my dad and use it to defeat this, this guy. And then at the end of that whole sequence, he meets his dad and they get to have this kind of heart to heart moment. And so that whole sequence was strung together by that idea of railing against your father, accepting your father, you know, all of those things, um, with this one hook, the son of Poseidon, um, and all these other songs and montages that I had written could fit within that. There's a reprise of like two different songs that happen within that whole sequence. I'm always in awe of somebody like Michael John Lacusa, who's able to write like a song that's in a song. It's like a song within a song within a song. These like box songs, like Russian dolls, where you like a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of what I wanted to do with a song like that. But yeah, it was like a whole team effort. That was a fight choreographer, uh, choreographer, artistic director, uh, book writer, director, and me all coming together to say, okay, how do we make this entire sequence work? And that was like really exciting. It's that puzzle. Your brain just is like, and I had like two days to do it, and we had like. A producer reading that then like two days. So I, I just, I don't like to be able to tout myself as being a fast writer. Cause I feel like that feels like, Oh, he didn't put any effort into it. I, the, the truth of the matter is when you've been working on a show for several years, you know, where all the pieces are, they're all out there. You just have to kind of like grab the ones that you need and then try to fit it. Oh, that didn't work. Okay. Fit the next one, fit the next, until it finally comes together. But you've been thinking about it for so long that when it finally starts firing, you're like, oh yeah, and, oh yeah, and, and then that, and then it, then you see it all working together. And when you see it now on a Broadway stage with all the other stuff that we have, the like, the way, how he defeats, you know, Aries with this incredible water, uh, that's so thrilling. It's so thrilling how it all came together in that moment. So I was going to ask, because I feel like this question probably gets asked a lot mm. as a writer specifically, composer, spe even more specifically, if yeah. the music or lyrics first. Yeah, like the the hook. And that's it's, what I was and it's, saying. Yeah, yeah so it sounds like it, it really just depends on the situation. For if you. it's a scene that's really funny, that's a wordy idea song, that it might be the lyric first, especially like another terrible day. But, you know, when I get up and I'm, up, I'm bummed out about whatever, my wife always laughs. I'm always, everything's the worst. So I just wanted the song that had the like, the worst and it like that. And we stumbled across like Lewis Black was kind of that comedian was our inspiration for that character. So I kind of like listened to his rhythm pattern of how he spoke and did comedy and then we kind of based the scenes and song kind of on that rhythm it was kind of jazzy he's a little older he's a little grumpier so then that would be determined the key and i was like oh it's kind of minory okay so that that helped create that sound we as i'm trying to write from character i want to write in their vernacular so i gotta think about what is the accompaniment that's going to fit that character what is the kind of melodic phrasing of that character like percy is like explosive so he's got this very rangy 
kind of up and down thing. Grover is kind of the sweet nature guy. So he's kind of stays kind of up here, you know, those kinds of things. So that definitely leads me to what I was thinking earlier. I was wondering what the uh, relationship is between you and the orchestrator yeah. and how much of the orchestrations might come from you. I know you said that, you know, certain characters are certain instruments. Well, so yeah. w- what is that conversation like? I've worked like? as an orchestrator and as a arranger before. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. I'm working on uh, arranging and orchestrating, a, a co-arranging with Joey Connors, this uh, punk rock girl. This is all female fronted punk songs. This jukebox musical. And that's been really fun. Um, to like play around with the style and stuff like that on kind of iconic punk songs. Um, for this, I brought, uh, brought in a really great orchestrator named Wiley DeWeese. Wiley worked on, uh, as a music director on like shows like Amelie and he, he worked on the Michael Friedman project, getting all those great songs that we might not otherwise get to hear. And, uh, Wiley and I collaborated a lot on how do we first, off Broadway and then on the tour and now on Broadway, how do we expand it? What can we do to make this, the big moments feel grandiose with, with the confines of a rock band, right? I always wanted it to feel uh, like a gut punch of rock music. So it's very guitar led. And so Wiley actually suggested Kevin Wonderlick, who's an incredible guitar with a name like Wonderlick, you better be. Um, <laughs> he worked for um, Sky Pony, um, you know, Kyle Jarrow's band, uh, who I adore, you know, uh, what a great book writer and songwriter. He wrote the, the book to SpongeBob and, uh, and Lauren Worsham's uh, wife. And and so Kyle, or I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Kevin was such an incredible guitarist playing all this kind of pop stuff. And I was like, could he really shred? And then I found out he was in a death metal band called Couch Slut. <laughs> and they're <laughs> they're heavy. They play like St. Vitus and all these like heavy. And so I was like, well, he's the guy to lead this band. And so he has a million pedals and we create like, okay, how do I create like textured effects of like the gods and like atmosphere that feels cinematic? Well, I can, I use, go to my classical roots. I used like inspiration from like Gustav Holtz, the planets and things like that. I'd use a lot of like percussive sounds and textures, a lot of like main stage stuff, but we don't get too crazy on sound effects. It's a lot of like creating organic sounding magic and that kind of goes along with some of the other elements of the show props and stuff like that like you have lawn uh uh, leaf blowers, leaf blowers, and, stuff like that. and all that stuff. Well, it, it's again that same like DIY aesthetic, right? Yes. Um, Rick, um, oh, I'm gonna screw up his last name. Conton. He's the artistic director at uh, Chicago Shakes, who got to see our theater. Lovely man. Um, oh my God, the theater is beautiful. Um, but he came out to see our our opening in Chicago, and he said to me, "Your show has rough magic." And I thought that's the terminology for what we're trying to achieve. And and from a Shakespeare uh, artistic director, that definitely was like, oh, he gets it. He gets what we're going for. And that is the spirit of that came in through in the orchestrations as well. Of yeah, how can we make this scrappy and fun but still like use maybe an ebo to create that that sound of a with the water you know but still a guy playing it on a guitar um and then we use things like melodicas and silly instruments that actually um bulk out some of the vocal padding and things like that and i use the ensemble as like textures like synth pads and things like that because it's ooze and ahs um which can create atmosphere so again it's all stuff that people are doing for real you know that's part of what Stephen Brackett and and Joe Trace talk about is like when you see our show it's like you have been at camp you can touch it you can feel it you are welcome there you know and 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 you feel like you've been there you know yeah so I was going to ask you what what's the experience like when you're watching the show that you've spent so many years and so many iterations of right on stage eight Um, times a week well you know (laughs) The audiences have been incredible, and and to you, you get these feedback from from people that they've said this is their first show, or this show has like helped them through things, or these books save their lives. And sometimes, um, you know, Jarrell was a huge fan of the books growing up, and so now he gets to be one of his favorite characters, which is unreal. So he was a fan. So like that's amazing. But you know, we were in Florida. We got the students at. Um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas got to go on stage with us and that was really powerful. We got to let them do a concert a version of the show um, to see kind of 
all these people from all different ages, a lot, a lot of young people though, in particular, um, finding a love for theater, finding a love for books through our show too. They'll be like, Oh, I'm going to read a book now because I saw a theater piece or vice versa. How cool is that? So cool. We're unlocking imaginations and like, and it gets to a larger question that I'm not going to go too into, but I'll get for a second on my soapbox here and just say that like, there is a space for YA stories and for different genres and demographics. There are a lot of barriers to break to get those stories on a larger platform uh, and to be accepted on those larger platforms and how we critique those plat uh, those those stories how we evaluate and accept them is is uh really a it's part of a larger conversation to be had and kind of a sea change that we're seeing with what broadway is right because broadway is commercial theater and there is a lot of kind of uglier sides of classism and things that that um are a part of that and part of what i'm really proud of our show is that you know our producers are keeping the price point for the for the you know some of the seats at 39 bucks everybody should have access to see theater everyone and those stories should be reflective that we are trying to get on stage of everyone of larger demographics of and that that demographics can be young people, right? And if we're trying to inspire an entire generation of new theater goers, shouldn't we want them to share in, in this art form and find accessibility in that art form and not talk down to them in their art form? So, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing that you see in, in, in other media like movies and, you know, superhero films and other YA stuff we're seeing in television and stuff like that. But in theater genre is a really tricky thing. Genre, it's like sci-fi, fantasy, things like that. And the kind of humor that a show like ours will have or be more chill. Well, it definitely, have. it takes, it's, it's a tricky, it's a tricky thing to find kind of, a, uh, if in a new, in a, in a kind of a, the traditional model, right. Or, a, or a gaze, if we will, right. We're trying to create other opportunities. Well, yeah, because if you, I mean, I don't know the statistics, but I'm sure that the general age, uh, the, the mean age of a theater goer is on Broadway is, is later. Four, four. Yeah, it's, it's later in life, later not, life. not and, the early. And it's it's ages. not it's not cheap. It's right. not cheap. Um, and and families, you know, trying to get four, a, people, four people trying to, to go. And really a lot hard. of people have this misconception that everything is at least a hundred dollars. Sure. Wh- or, and, and you just said there's thirty nine dollar tickets to this. Right. And, and there well, are for a lot of. And there is also shows. a perception too that if if I'm going to pay that much money, I need to see that money on the stage for it to be of value. That's also part of a kind of a something that I hope that gets demystified a bit in terms of what Broadway is. You know what I mean? Because there is room. There is room for all kinds of things. Um, and just if one show is as big and flashy and one show is scrappy and, and you know, kind of minimalistic, that doesn't make them any less than, you know, or that one is taking away from another. Um, that's I think that's so exciting that our show is part of a trend like that. I mean, look at this season. What a cool season. A show like Slave Play can be on Broadway. How cool is that? Such a good play. Um, and, and maybe the answer, too, is to have limited runs, you know, as well. You know, that might be part of what a new thing is. Sorry, I got on a big old no, soapbox No, no, no. Here. We like going there. This is a very hot topic, I would say. No, I think it the is. Whole industry and- you know, we, we're, we're battling kind of old trends. And, and you see it kind of not just in the arts. You see it kind of universally. You see it in our country. You see it in the world of... Well, you know, everything for it's generational too. It's baby boomers. It's, you know, it's patriarchal things as well, but it's classism as well. It's all kinds of those things and, and how we quantify things, you know, I've been so proud of our show. I'm just as proud of our show when it was one hour in a cafetorium and the kids and the lives that we changed in those audiences as, as we are for whoever gets to see it on Broadway or, or who got to see it on our regional theater. Um, that I'm, I'm, I'm as equally proud of that. Um, it doesn't make it, I've, you know, when people are like, Oh, you made it on Broadway. I'm like, well, I'm glad to be a part of a larger conversation. And hopefully that will get other ex- producers to produce more things that, that uh, take chances and risks like our show. But, but that also, I feel like as a storyteller negates a lot of the work that we do, which is a lot of times done for many years 
in rehearsal rooms and off-Broadway theaters and regional theaters and things like that, that doesn't make it any of less value. Do you think that you have a mission statement as an artist? I think a little bit. I mean, I like to write about things that scare me um, and, and, you know, the state of the world we're at right now. And I think a lot about uh, my own privilege. I think a lot about um, uh, toxic masculinity. I think I'm writing a musical about a cult and patriarchy and like a group think. It's funny and it's silly and scary. And there's monsters, of course, because I love to write about monsters. Um, I'm fascinated by group think right now. It's It's come up like so much, I think, in the last two months in my life alone of just conversation so i'm so interested in this, well, this what this, is this it's called Group experience Think. marianas it's a it's a musical that you get indoctrinated into a cult in real time um we did a workshop of it at cap 21 i'm working on an album out of it right now i'm working on it with um, sarah beth pfeiffer one of the actors uh, and uh, we work with sherry eden barber who's amazing director and kind of a staunch feminist and I, just somebody i was like i want to learn from you and i want to write about this thing and and using kind of like the chromatics and and twin peaks and kind of fun new wave music as a vehicle to like explore kind of how we get sucked in wanting so much belonging that we start to lose identity because we go along with something and then how do we wake up from that um because we are we're inundated with information and how do we make our way when sometimes we just want someone to tell us the answer you know so i'm excited about projects like that um but and so maybe Maybe that's my mission statement. I mean, I was an actor for many, many years and, and always tried to find projects that I thought would be aligned with and your own. Aligned with my yeah. own. And that's hard. It doesn't always it doesn't always happen. It doesn't always pay the bills to do right. that too. <laughs> or or, you know, and, and this is why my my kind of story of the last couple of years has come full circle because I booked a Broadway show as an actor. And then unfortunately, the weekend before our rehearsal started, that's what I learned accordion for for six months. Uh, the You know, unfortunately, uh, the producers pulled out and we never got to, to do it. And so that was right around the same time that I found Lightning Thief kind of fell in my lap. And I thought, OK, if I've lost agency as an actor to take, you know, to tell stories I want to tell, um, all right, I'll make my own or I'll find things that I can adapt or things that I can do that I do have some kind of control over. It's so powerful of like, you know, as an actor, a lot of times, I mean, you just said it, just you, you don't have, you're not in the driver's seat. A lot of Mm. times those choices aren't yours. Well, fortunately the technology is helping us a bit with that. You know, it's, it's hurtful and helpful, right? It's helpful though, in the advent of like YouTube and social media that you have, you can be your own brand ambassador and take back some of your own, you know, power and narrative of, of, of what you see as your strengths and that you can show that off for casting directors and create podcasts and create, you know, (laughs) YouTubes and, you know, videos and, you know, but you're able to, you're able to create the thing on your own. You don't have to rely on the producer who's going to come in and cast you. You know, those are things where it puts you in the driver's seat Look at Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Look at, you know, some of these, these projects where, yeah, they were okay. I'm going to do this on my own. If no one's going to see my worth, I'll, I'll make it on my own. I mean, that's what monster songs, my graphic novel came out of the, I was just like, okay, uh, no one understands what I'm going for. I'm trying to make a graphic novel rock album. Cool. But it's also a theater piece. Can you explain that? Well, yeah, people just, well, I, I have a copy of it. I'll just show it to you. Um, but it's, it's, it's graphic novels, 120 page, beautiful graphic novel told from different monsters, points of view, kind of examining, toxic masculinity is how we other people. Um, but I, it seems a little trite of like, Oh, it's just monsters and monster archetypes. But, um, I think it's really quite moving. Um, you know, the troll under the bridge is based on the homeless guy that lives down the street from me. Um, Medusa is, you know, someone who we vilify, but, uh, she was, has had a really dark story that, and, and to like get her to hear from her side. And so these, all these kind of broken, creatures that we i try to humanize again to put their stories back in context um and with a different art for each monster with beautiful illustrations by uh, david o'neill who's such a chameleon and the idea was that each song would be in a different style so one song might be kind of you know adele inspired or one might be a 60s girl group inspired uh flavor song or one might be kind of more heavy rock um and so that was that was kind of the impetus for for the project to kind of play with style and, and genre, but with horror, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. We're even working on it with VR right now to try to make a VR game, which is pretty cool to go with it. Yeah. That's uh, so cool. Well, we're looking at it as like, how do we push the envelope of, of, 
how we embrace technology and storytelling. Can we do it as kind of an immersive storytelling event, kind of like a sleep mm. no more, but do it yeah. as a musical. And that's, it's tricky. It's tricky. It's tricky to get uh, hearts win over hearts and minds, especially in regional theaters to be like, ah, how do we do that? But immersive can mean different things. It can be environmental as well. But I love the synergy you get from, I hate that word, but I, it, it's the word to use, of, of the visual element of, of artwork mixed with an actor's live blood you know, and sweat and tears and, and a rock band. There's just something so wonderful about that connection of all that together. Do you consider yourself a multi-hyphenate artist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so curious. Uh, No, I just, I'm a storyteller. That's what I I think of myself as. I mean, if I'm a music director, how am I going to help tell the story is the best as a music director and make sure the cast is in the band are on board with what we're trying to achieve. If I'm a orchestrator, how can I, you know, do what the writer has done and like, how do I elevate that to get the most out of it? Or if I'm a actor, what do they need me to do? How am I a part of this thing? Does, I mean, I'm assuming, but do you think that one helps the other or one infers the other? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I have such a love for actors um, and, and such an admiration for them. Oh, my God. I saw Tina last night. Adrienne Warren is unreal. I haven't seen it yet. I'm dying. She like, had yeah. sung a song for me back when she was in college in like Marymount, Manhattan. I just was like blown away by her. And then, you know, kind of have followed her career over the last couple of years. But good God. She has an alternate, right? She does. Okay. I don't know how she's doing it. Because it, yeah. It's nearly two and a half hour show. It's, I don't know. It's unreal. It's unreal. But but I love actors so much. And I think like when I'm writing a song for them, I try to think about, well, all right, in terms of range and hook and emotion and things like that, I, I definitely put myself in the, the, their shoes. Um, like if I don't buy it, then they're not going to buy it. I've, I've done plenty of workshops and readings of quote unquote new musicals where I feel like the actors have to try to... Um, <laughs> polish something <laughs> really hard um, and make sense of stuff. So I, I try really, really hard to be as specific as I can so that um, and answer the questions of what the subtext and what's going on so that they feel like they've got a framework to do their job as best they can. So they don't have to just work from nothing and make things up. I'm so excited about that collaborative process too, about like, okay, what are you not getting? What are you getting? What do you, Oh, that's what you're seeing in this. Okay, cool. Let's take it in that direction or whatever. And I'm sure because you have the experience of, of work wearing these different hats, if you will, it really helps you think kind of in their shoes to sure. make it, you know, that much more collaborative. Yeah. It's fun. I wish I, I was able to do more. I wish uh, in terms of like, wish I was a, able to be a choreographer and <laughs> be like, <laughs> Oh, that's why we're doing this in XYZ, you know? Um, have you ever danced before? Oh, yeah, yeah. I danced for, I love tap. I'm just not very good at it. I wish I was. <laughs> I can do a triple time step. <laughs> I went to school for theater. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I don't dance, though. <laughs> <laughs> so we always ask our guests this question uh-huh. of what's the last great piece of theater that you saw? Oh, man. There's so much great theater. I'm, a, I'm like on my list. I'm seeing Soft Power next week. I'm seeing Slave Play the week after. I'm like, there's a I'm lot of dying shows. To, okay, those two shows. There's a lot of shows. Gary has been talking about those. There's a lot of shows that I'm really excited to see. Um, shows that have like really got me. I mean, I, I really did love Town. I, I thought it's a beautiful story. And as an artist, that idea of like, we may fail, but we're going to tell that story anyway, right? Here's to us doing that. You know, it's the very thing my wife like didn't like that message. <laughs> She's like, what? Why really? Just? And I was like, well, that's the whole, that that's the whole beautiful message that I love so much. But it's like, but that's the conversation that the thing has too. Um, I did like that. Um, but shows like The Pillow Man was like one of my most thrilling nights of theater I'd, I'd ever seen. I didn't know how, how in God's name, uh, at the end of act one, you were going to have an act two. And and I'm like, I love seeing shows that seem like impossible to, to have on a stage. And they're like, how are they going to do that? Um, Michael R. Jackson, you know, is an incredible writer. I love Strange Loop. I thought that was one of the last amazing things I've seen. Um, I'm excited to see um, uh, Love and Hate Nation uh, out in Two River with Joy Connors. I've seen that in a couple different iterations. So uh, yeah, really excited to see that. There, so why, much good theater. I love I love those artists in particular, not just because I know them and love them as, as friends, but but because they're, they're so honest. They're brutally honest and uh, care so much about trying to make something authentic of their worldview. And there's nothing better than an artist when you like see something, you're like, ah, 
I know exactly what, what that, that is your, your point of view. And I can see it so clearly. I love that. And that's what creates universality too. It's so specific to them. And yet, wow. You know? Yeah. Is there anyone out there in the world that you haven't worked with that you're really hoping to like put it, put it out there in the universe? Well, uh, uh, oh man. Or what's so the next Rachel book out of I mean, there's, there's a adaptation you want to do. Uh, well, kind of my mission last year was I wanted to try to work with artists that that don't have my worldview um, and or don't look like me. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm excited about working again with Sherry Eden Barber. He's a great director. Um, it's a lot of incredible female directors that I'm just like in awe of that I'm just like would would jump it in in a second to work with. Um you know, uh, oh, oh yeah. Speaking of, I'm, I'm so excited. Diana Apollos, I'm so excited to see um, Jack Jerry Little Pill. Pill. Can't wait to see that. Um, so yeah, there's there's just collaborators come kind of. You, you never know until you find like the story that you're like, oh that. Ooh, uh, I was just approached maybe by uh, uh, for a story from my my friend Preston um, Allen, who I love, and we've worked on some stuff together. Um, he's really awesome. I don't know if you saw We Are Tigers. It's a really fun, catchy musical around no, off I Broadway. Been, I know you're talking about. I saw. Um, so he and I might work on something. I don't know. <laughs> Be on the lookout, cool. everyone. Yeah, so, there is a lot of really cool work, and and so I'm, yeah, I've, I'm I'm excited to just kind of throw my hat in the ring and and be like, okay, not the usual suspects. Who can who can I who can I find? Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on oh the podcast. Gosh, we, we appreciate it so much. Yeah. Well, guys. Where can our listeners find you? <gasps> okay. In the internet. So on the on the old <laughs> interwebs, I'm R Rokicks. R O K I C K S at uh, on on the tweets and the Instagrams. It's like a cheer. Yeah, R- I, I'm not R- gonna kicks. say it again, but there's a kick in the middle. That's it. <laughs> we'll link it in the our description notes as well. Yeah. <laughs> Just and to make it a little bit easier. Go catch Lightning Thief before it closes um, on January January fifth. So we're twenty twenty. Yeah, we're at the Long Acre theater it's beautiful theater love it i've we were sitting in there and i was like i don't think i've ever been in this theater but i always love looking at like the like the little designs and like how intricate they are you didn't yes. see the prom i saw no, that. I love the prom I did not see uh, prom. it's a beautiful theater the sound is great there too yeah yes it was i listen for that now <laughs> <laughs> my boyfriend is a sound engineer so i must oh it's a hard thing it's a good yeah. job. also Important not having a podcast job. now it's like all i think about think about sound a lot <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much. Thanks, you guys. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Page to Stage. To keep up with us, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Page to Stage Podcast. And if you're enjoying these conversations, we would really appreciate it if you could take a couple minutes to rate and review us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time. That's Brian. That's Mary. We'll see you later. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.